Good morning, CBF, and uh, praise be to our risen Savior this morning. We will be dwelling upon the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. And I would ask you to turn your Bibles to this passage so that we can look at this passage together and uh, discern what the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Now, to give you a context of this passage, the passage is about Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And the reason for going through this passage is for us to see how Paul wanted a healthy church to pray. So, CBF as a church, what are one of those most effective prayers we could pray as a church? That's what we are going to be looking at this morning. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, we see Paul is shown is uh, Paul shows what it is like to pray in view of God's greatness and as, at the same time our human need. Now, this section that we are looking at, verse 14 to 21, is a transitional section in this book. The first three chapters that we see in the book of Ephesians shows us God's amazing grace. It shows us what God has done for us. And the last three chapters of this book talks about how we should live as Christians. Now, right in between is this particular passage sandwiched where Paul prays for this church. And this is a great reminder for us too as Christians because we all need more than knowledge of these things. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, when we look at prayer in general, many Christians pray in different ways. Some Christians pray when in a particular situation, they've done all that they could and nothing's working out. And then at the end of the line, they would just go and just look up to the heavens and pray. There are other Christians who would pray when, you know, when it's like a routine uh, with more like a routine uh, kind of a situation. Say, for example, just before meals or uh, on Sundays and things like that. Now, there are other believers who also sometimes disregard prayer or don't find a point in prayer because you are not able to physically measure the outcome and the ultimate benefit. For example, when you read the Bible, you, when you finish you know, the, the chapters in the book of Philippians, or, or Ephesians, you know that you have finished that part. When it comes to prayer, prayer, many Christians are not able to see the ultimate benefit or measure that outcome, and hence they lose the point or they, they don't get what's the point in doing this. Now, that's where this passage really comes into play because prayer has an ultimate power, and I'm talking about I'm, and I'm talking about real power. Prayer has a power, and that's what we are going to, going to unfold in this passage. Uh, Corrington Boom once mentioned this, that prayer is supposed to be the steering wheel of our life and not the stepney or the spare tire. Prayer is supposed to be the steering wheel of our life and not the stepney or the spare tire. Now, when we look at the early church, they seem to recognize their desperation for God. They had no great human resources. They were not very influential people. They were not really strategic too. But their 
but they were desperate for the Spirit of God to work mightily in their lives. So we see that in multiple parts of scripture. For example, when we look at Acts 4 verse 29 to 31, we see that they prayed for God's power in order to speak the word with boldness in the face of opposition. When we look at Acts chapter 6, we see that the apostles said that they must be devoted to prayer. So the church selected some good men to take care of the widows in order to free the other brothers up so that they could pray. Now, these are but a few really good examples. But when we look at the, F, the church at Ephesus, this church is a church that turned the world upside down. What was essential for the early church has become supplemental for the contemporary church. Unfortunately, and, and maybe generally speaking, I feel we too have often a high view of ourselves and a lower view of God. Which is why the example that I mentioned that we do everything we can and then when nothing else is working, we pray or we have, we have lost the point in prayer. So when we look at this passage and we are getting right into it now, there are three things that I want us to keep in mind. But let's read the passage first and then let's get to it. Verse 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his grace, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm hoping that you have read this passage too individually uh, with your Bibles. Now, there are three main points regarding our need to pray within this passage. And let, let, let's get to the first point. One is that we need to pray in humbleness and humility. And we're going to look at verse 16, sorry, verse 14 to 16 to understand this. The second point is that we need to be praying to be filled with his strength, power, and love. I'll repeat that. We need to be praying to be filled with his strength, power, and love. And that's what Paul focuses on verse 16 to verse 19. And point number three, that after, when we have done all that, we can remember that, we, that prayer demands great expectations from God. And in verse 20 and 21, we know that we can expect great expectation or we can have great expectation from God when we pray. So let's look into the verses, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And this is where I was bringing the point of humility. The first thing we notice here is Paul's posture. He says, for this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father. And I don't mean to suggest that, you know, kneeling is the only form of prayer. I know many of you, you either walk and pray or stand and pray or sit and pray or even kneel and pray. But what I want to emphasize on is the heart behind the idea of kneeling. And as we consider this posture, I think we can draw application about three things. One is gratitude. Second is desperation. And third is confidence. And let's look at why uh, I bring these three points. When we talk about humble gratitude, the context shows us that Paul is praying with humble gratitude. And I, I, I draw this point because he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, what is this reason? Now, this passage actually starts from chapter 3, verse 1. And if you look at before this passage, that is chapter 1 and chapter 2, it talks about what God has done for us. God's amazing grace in our lives. And when, when Paul looks at this passage of 1 and 2, he just has a heart filled with gratitude because of the grace of God. Paul was amazed at God's grace in saving sinners individually. And at the same time, his grace in uniting them corporately. Now, from an application point of view for us, when we reflect on the Father's grace, and let's, let's start counting, right? Let's start counting on what all God has done for us. When we're talking about God calling us, we're talking about God adopting us, we're talking about God purchasing us from the enemy. We're talking about God forgiving us through Christ. We're talking about God sealing us through the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Father bringing us to life from death. We're talking about Him raising us with Christ. We're talking, us, talking about Him seating us with Christ. We're talking about God making us part of this church. And then when we think of all these things that God has done for us, then like Paul, it will cause you and me to bow before him in worship. And that's exactly where Paul says that for this reason, I bow before the Father. Because the first two chapters overwhelms him in the amount of goodness, kindness, and gratitude that we, that God has bestowed upon us and how we can be grateful for all that goodness and kindness and love that he has bestowed upon us. Now, we, now one thing to note is that the essence of prayer is not asking for goodies. The essence of prayer is worship. And that's how Paul starts this passage. The second thing I want to draw our attention is the humble desperation. Kneeling also is a sign of desperation. And from this passage, we see that Paul is not like a, a Paul is not like a cold theologian who's writing philosophical letters uh, for philosophical understanding, but he is a deeply passionate leader who's praying for the church. He's interceding for this church. He's grateful for the church and talking to the Father in terms of that gratitude. Now, we don't, it's not just Paul who does this, but when we look at scripture, if you remember Stephen, when he was being when he was being stoned, in that desperation, he prays for his persecutors that they would be forgiven. He kneels, he bows down, and he prays 
for uh, his persecutors. Now, why was Paul so passionate? Why was Paul so even desperate in verse uh, 3 verse 14? I personally think that it is because the Ephesian church needed something that could only come from God. And that was power. Notice how he says in verse, um, verse 16 that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. That he may grant you, showing that this is a gift of God. He was desperate for God to answer. When was the last time we bowed down in humble desperation, pleading to God for his grace and power in our lives? And the third point in terms of humility of prayer is what I want to talk about, which is humble confidence. Finally, Paul's introduction here shows us that we should also come to the presence of God in confidence. We shouldn't come with arrogance, thinking that God owes us blessings, but instead we should come to him in humble confidence. And how can we do that? We can pray with confidence because of our position in Christ. Isn't it beautiful that how just one passage of scripture where Paul, just his posture and what he's talking about here talks about how we can be humble. How can we, how can we be humbly grateful? How can we be having prayers of desperation? And how can at the same time we come in humble confidence towards the Lord? Let's look at verse 16 to 19. I'll read from verse 15 onwards. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. We'll pause here. But there are a few phrases that I want you to keep in mind. Now, remember, Paul is praying these things. And we are trying to understand from Paul what, what are some of those ways where we can effectively pray and make that difference in our lives because of the power of the Spirit in our lives. Now, notice the phrases about power and love in these uh, verses from 16 to 19. One is verse 16, where it says, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power, strengthened with power. Okay, then we see in verse 17 that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18, where it says, strength to comprehend with all the saints. Comprehend what? Comprehend God's love. But it says not comprehend just individually, but comprehend together with the whole CBF church, with the whole church. What? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And we'll, we'll, we'll come to that passage. And then it talks about in verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And verse 20, according to the power at work within us. Now keep these, uh, keep these phrases in mind because this, these are key phrases in this passage that can teach us about prayer too. Now, uh, 
it, it, it's important to note that Paul is essentially praying for the lead, for the readers to experience what he has just talked about in the last previous chapters, which is God, God's absolute sovereign grace and God's absolute sovereign power in the life of sinners who are redeemed by grace. We should remember that prayer and teaching always go together. So the importance of understanding this passage will lead us to pray more effectively. How has our prayer, how has our prayer evolved over time? How has your prayer evolved over time? Have you been praying the same prayer for the last five years? Or are you growing in your prayer? Let's remember that prayer is a thermometer to understand your spiritual maturity. So maybe take a couple of seconds to think about how your prayer life, life has, been, has been and how is, that, how is that evolving. Now we look at uh, verse 16 and 17 and the key to this is where he says strengthened with power through spirit and we need to be strengthened by the spirit's power. Now Paul begins with a prayer for strength and asking God to fill the strength, fill and strengthen the believer in the inner man. Because he doesn't talk about strengthening the outer body, but he's actually talking about strengthening the inner man. Now, this is where we need strength and power on the inside. This is how we fight sins like anger, fear, anxiety, worry, needing to be always in control. This is how we even proclaim the gospel with courage. And this is how we are able to love people the way Christ loved us. Let me ask you, how is your inner man today? You know what I'm talking about if you are a Christian. There are times in which you feel spiritually very strong and healthy. The, the enticements of sin are not that strong. And you are delighting in Jesus. But there are other times when your inner man is unhealthy. We need the Holy Spirit's power to transform our inner being because that's the only way our outward being, like our habits, our actions, our responses to our spouses or children, all of that can be transformed. We need the Holy Spirit's power to transform our inner being. And that's exactly what Paul is praying when he says that to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let me ask you, are you feeling spiritually depleted? Are you pretending that all is well outwardly? Let me request you, ask God to strengthen you by the Spirit. This is a prayer. Pray this and pray this prayer humbly. Pray this prayer desperately and pray this prayer confidently. Let's look at verse 17. Why do we need to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man? What's the point? And that's what verse 17 says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, these are two petitions that Paul is putting together and it's going and it goes hand in hand. Because Paul uses the language of inner man in verse 16. He uses the language of then the heart in verse 17. Then he uses the language of strength of the spirit in verse 16 again. And then in verse 17, he uses the language of indwelling Christ. 
Paul doesn't intend to separate the, the second and the third person of Trinity. So Christ coming in and the Holy Spirit working goes hand in hand and cannot be uh, separated. Now, you might ask, I thought, you know, Christ was already in my heart as a Christian. Yes, he is. But Paul is speaking about something more than just Christ dwelling in your heart. Let me, let me tell you an example. Uh, say you found a really good deal on a house. It's a broken down house, but the price is really good. So you decide to buy it. Now, you bought it, but you can't straight, straight away live there because it's messed up. It's dirty. It has, there's a lot of plumbing work. There's a lot of hardware work. A lot of work needs to be done. That's exactly how our life is when Christ enters into our heart. It's such a messy place that the continuing work of the Holy Spirit needs to happen because the end goal is to be a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's work going, going in day in and day out by the Holy Spirit to make us that pervasive reflection of the Holy of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now here's the here's the application uh, from this part. I really pray that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. That the word of Christ, the presence of Christ, the peace of Christ will rule in our heart by the Spirit, so that we can fight all these sins, so that we can. Uh, we can overcome all these uh, sins. Now, it's interesting to note that in verse 17, it also says another thing, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I'm going to pause there. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the, that he's, talk, he's saying that we need power to grasp Christ's love. Now, the Ephesian church knew what Christ's love is. CBF knows what Christ's love is. But Paul is asking for them to know it better. It's not a prayer that focuses on their love for Christ, but it is a prayer that focuses on Christ's love for them. I'll repeat that. It's not a prayer that focuses on their love for Christ. It's a prayer that focuses on Christ's love for them as a church because it uses the word with all the saints. Now, Paul apparently thinks that they do not, that the, that the church at Ephesus does not appreciate God's love as they should. And I think for us too, the same could be said. And it's not talking, and we're not talking about intellectual appreciation of the love of Christ. And neither is Paul. He's asking God that they might have the power to grasp the height, sorry, the uh, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ in their experience. Not just a head knowledge of it, but an experiential knowledge of what is the love of Christ. How, how, what's the breadth of it? What's the length of it? What's the height of it? What's the depth of it? You know, many have the right doctrine. But committed, but, but many, but these many people have committed grave sins because they were not walking in the fullness of God's presence and love. And that's a very important thing. Do we understand this love just from a doctrinal point of view? 
do we understand this love just from a factual point of view? If so, let me ask you to ask God. Because the experiential understanding of God's love is a very, very important thing. Now, when we talk about God's love, I want to uh, notice four aspects of love that we need to know in our minds. Scripture speaks of God's, uh, sorry, Scripture speaks of the breadth of God's love in that when he's included every caste, every creed, every uh, class, every race, that is the breadth of God's love for mankind. When scripture speaks of his love to be long from a length point of view, eternity is that. Eternity is that length. Scripture speaks of God's love being higher than the heavens. And scripture speaks of his love in terms of death, in that God casts our sins to the bottom of the sea. And this we see in Micah. So remember what God's love means, what it means by breadth, what it means by what it means by length, what it means by height, and what it means by depth. I'm reminded of that song uh, that we often sing, could we think the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. And that song talks about the love of God. Now here's the challenge. I want each of us to pray this and pray this every morning. Pray for the strength of the Spirit. Pray for Christ to rule your heart. Pray that you may be rooted and established in love, that you may know Christ's love and grow up in the fullness of God to be a wonderful reflection of Christ Jesus on this earth. And this leads us to the last two verses, verse 20 and 21. And, and, and the point over there that I want to draw across is that we need to pray with great expectations. And there are three things that I want you to draw your attention, I want to draw your attention to in these next two verses. Notice the what, why, and how in this. What is Paul talking about? Paul is saying that God is able. Let's, let's, let's break that up. He says God is able, fair. Then he says God is able to do. Then he says God is able to do far more abundantly. And then he goes on to say God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask. And then he says God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. If you get some time, please dwell on these descriptions because Paul is not making a, 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 a very casual statement here. But Paul is saying that understand the greatness of God because when you understand the greatness of God, you will expect great things from God. Now, how do we do this? How, do, how does God work beyond our asking or our thinking or our imagination? That's in the second part where it says according to the work, sorry, according to the power at work within us. 
Think of the examples in the Bible. Think of characters like Abraham. Think of characters like uh, Elijah, David, Gideon, Nehemiah, Isaiah. God is able to do extraordinary things through ordinary people by his work, at his power at work within them. And so he will do with you and me too. Now why? Why does God do these things? Paul says it in verse 21 and it says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This should be the ultimate goal of our prayers for power and love and strength. So that to him would be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God blesses his people for his glory. And God will bless us for his glory too. Remember all that what Christ has done for us. Please spend some time reading Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. It shows us who God is and the amazing grace of God in our lives. So, but all that leads to the last part where we say, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So to conclude, I want to leave you with the three main points from this passage. So let's, the first point being, so let's bow down before the Father in humility, in humble gratitude, in humble desperation, and in humble confidence. Second, let's ask our great sovereign Father for the fullness of his strength, of his power, and his love. And thirdly, let's come in faith, believing that. That's what I want to leave you with CBF, and I hope that this passage will remind you that we have a great and awesome God and we just need to go to him, pray, pray in the right manner. Prayer is not our last resort, but it's our first resort. And let us together comprehend with all the saints, like, like the portion says, what is the depth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that is beyond knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. May his magnificent name be glorified. God bless you and have a great week.